Well, take your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we'll stand and read a few verses from the life of Peter. And uh, we're going to look at uh, his life today. And I'm thankful that God has preserved in his word uh, these characters in the Bible and some things about them that we might learn from them. The Bible says that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so when we see these Bible characters, we realize they were just like us, uh, going through some of the same problems and difficulties that we go through in life. And God preserved the good and the bad from their life that we might learn from it. And so let's learn from the life of Peter today, starting in verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both unto prison and to death. And he, the Lord, said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You can be seated. Did you know that the devil knows us better than we know ourselves? Sometimes we think we know ourselves pretty well. Uh, we know what makes us happy. We know what makes us sad. We know what we like. We know what we dislike. We kind of know our habits, our routines. Uh, we know what gets us excited. We know what we like to wear. We know what we like to eat. We know what we like to go, where we like to go, uh, who we want to be with. We think we know ourselves pretty well. But did you know the devil, he knows us as well. He knows us too. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 2, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, there's some NFL games going on this afternoon. You know what those coaches have been doing all week? Uh, they've been studying the other team. Uh, those defensive coordinators, they've been studying film on the other team's offense that they're going to face. And those offensive coordinators and coaches, they've been watching film all week about what kind of defense they're going to face this week. Now, why are they studying the other team? Well, because they need to be prepared to face what the other team is going to throw their way. Sometimes we need to focus on the Lord and we need to figure out what God wants for us. But the Bible gives us some instruction about our enemy as well. We need to know the devil's devices in our life. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The word devour there means to make to disappear. Now, the devil wants your testimony, your impact for Christ to disappear. What the devil would love is that Heritage Baptist Church would have no influence whatsoever on San Leandro or the Oakland area. He wants it to disappear. He wants your testimony, your influence upon other people to disappear. So the devil is going to do everything he can in our lives to cause our life, our testimony, our influence for Christ to be negated. Do you know where you are most vulnerable to Satan? Are you aware of his devices in your individual life? Do you know where he's going to attack and probe in your life? 
Sometimes we think, well, I'll, I'll handle it when it comes. I'll, I'll be able to resist the devil when it comes. And we, we, we tend to have some confidence in ourselves. But God reminds us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We think, well, you know, I'm, I'm foolproof. I've been saved for a while. I, I know the drill. I know the routine. And, and I'll be okay. But remember, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You think, well, you know, when the time comes, if, if Satan attacks, uh, I'll, uh, I'll be able to respond in that moment. I'll, I'll, uh, I maybe wasn't on guard, and I, I let my guard down, and Satan uh, attacked, but I'll be okay. You know, Samson is an illustration of someone who, uh, he walked away from the vows that God had placed upon his life. Samson one day found himself in the lap of Delilah and his hair on the floor. He recognized that he had broken that Nazarite vow time and time again. Delilah cries, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. The Philistines be upon thee. And the Bible says that Samson arose and shook himself and said, I will go out as at other times before. He thought, I'm going to be okay. I can handle this. Uh, the devil can't defeat me. Uh, I'm in God's hand. I can handle this. He shook himself and said, I'll go out as other times before, but he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. You see, if we're not careful, if we don't keep our guard up to what Satan is trying to do, we will think, well, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. But we need to be cautious of what Satan is doing in our lives. Now, Satan has some tactics that work over and over again. And he doesn't go away from what works. And I believe in Peter's life, we see four common tactics of Satan. First of all, Satan will always heighten our fears. He'll heighten our fears. Now, we all are afraid of something. Uh, I don't like snakes. If I see a snake, I'm going the other direction. I had a bad experience as a little boy with a snake, and ever since then, I just am, I, I'm deathly afraid of snakes. Uh, people say, well, Brother Getch, that is not a poisonous snake. I'm not hanging around long enough to find out if it's poisonous or not. I'm out of there. I know people, I was in a house recently where a guy had all these pet snakes. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I just don't like snakes. Besides, God calls the devil a serpent, so there you go. Uh, I just don't like snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. doesn't matter how big they are, how poisonous they are. I don't like snakes. Maybe you don't like heights. Maybe you don't like darkness. Maybe you don't like closed-in spaces. Uh, the number one fear in the world is public speaking. In fact, death ranks number three. So some people would rather die than give a speech. But the truth is, we all have some fears, don't we? And the devil loves to capitalize on those fears. Sometimes we know what's right in our life, but there's that fear. Maybe that fear of taking that stand. Making that, maybe that fear of even going to church. That, that fear of what family or friends might say. Or we have the fear of, is God going to take care of me? Uh, uh, we have that fear of, of witnessing. We have that fear of, of being uh, uh, right with God in our finances and, and, and giving. We have those fears in our life. And the devil loves to heighten those fears. 
particularly in times that we're living in today. But remember, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think Peter had a fear of what other people thought of him. I think Peter had this fear of his peers, this fear of acceptance. Remember one time in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Thou savors not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Boy, strong language to Peter there. Peter was more concerned about what people thought of him than what the Lord thought of him. I think of Peter by the fire there after Jesus was betrayed and and, uh, he's standing around that fire warming himself and someone says, hey, weren't you with him? And Peter said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And a little while later, another said, hey, uh, you were with Jesus of Nazareth. I saw you with him. Peter said, I don't know that man. And after a few more moments, a little girl said, you are one of his disciples. Your speech betrays you. And Peter began to curse. He began to swear. He said, I know not the man. What was at work there in Peter's life? I mean, here in our text, he said, I'll I'll never deny you. I'll die for you, but I'll never deny you. What happened? The fear of acceptance. That fear of perhaps being made fun of. That fear of perhaps what someone else might think about him. I think about the story in the book of Acts where Peter is shown by God uh, through a vision that the gospel is to go to the Gentiles. Remember that? Up until Acts chapter 10, the disciples, the apostles, they thought the gospel was just for the Jews. So they're preaching to the Jews. The Jews are coming to Christ. But in Acts chapter 10, God gives Peter a vision of a sheet coming down out of heaven with all these animals inside. And Peter looks at these animals and he says, yeah, those are clean and those are unclean. We can eat those, but we can't eat those. And God said, no, don't call anything unclean. And through that vision, God explained to Peter that all the world was to be saved. The gospel was to go to the Jew and to the Gentile. Aren't you glad for that? And so Peter, he begins to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are coming to Christ. They're getting saved by faith. By the way, that's the only way you can get saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so these Gentiles are getting saved. And one night after church, Peter and some Gentile believers, they're fellowshipping there after church. They're eating a meal. They're enjoying some time together. And all of a sudden, some Jews walked in. And Peter... He gets up from the table with the Gentiles and he runs over and he sits with the Jews because he was afraid of what the circumcised might think about him. You remember Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 where Paul said, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Paul says, Peter, you knew what God said. You, You got the message firsthand that the gospel was to go to those Gentiles. And you saw what God did in their lives. But all of a sudden, Peter, you got concerned about yourself again. You you, you got that fear of what people would think of you. If we're not careful in these days in which we live, we can be afraid of what the world is going to say or what the world is going to do if we take our stand for Jesus Christ. Oh, I love Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, I am with thee. 
Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The devil will try to heighten your fears. But secondly, the devil will try to highlight our faults. We all have them. Now, as I study the life of Peter, I think Peter's primary fault was he was impetuous. Peter was always uh, quick to respond. He was always uh, eager to open his mouth and insert his foot. You know, Peter always kind of stepped before he looked both ways. Peter was one of those guys that would speak before he really thought about what he was saying. He was impetuous. I'll never deny you, he said here in our text. I mean, in that garden, he's wielding a sword, cutting off Malchus's ear, trying to defend the Lord. He's impetuous. You recognize your faults? It is, is it easy for you to spot sin in your life? Are you tender to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you about some sin in your life? The devil will highlight your faults. He will make those faults come to the forefront in your life. By the way, if we say that we have not sinned, we are a liar. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We all have sinned. We all have things in our life that the devil comes back over and over again and tries to easily beset us with. He tries to to get us to stumble. We've got to get good at recognizing sin in our life. It's easy to get like the Pharisee in the story that Jesus told. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee, the other a publican. And the Pharisee, he stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice he was praying with himself. Not with God. He was praying to himself. He said, I thank thee, O God. I'm not like other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, that man went down unto his house justified rather than the other. For he that exalteth himself should be abased, but he that humbleth himself should be exalted. Christian, don't ever get to the point where you think, I don't have any sin to deal with. I don't have any faults in my life. We've got to get good at recognizing sin if God is going to use us. Years ago, there was a young preacher who was invited to preach at a Sword of the Lord conference with Dr. John R. Rice. Dr. Rice had started the Sword of the Lord and those ministries of soul winning and evangelism way back in the 1930s. Dr. Rice was a powerful evangelist preacher, and he was a man who had written a number of books, authored a number of things, and and, uh, uh, would hold these soul winning conferences, and he was well-renowned, and here was this young preacher who was asked to preach with him at one of these conferences, and he was nervous about it. 
He was nervous about sharing a platform with the great Dr. Rice. And to make matters worse, when he got to the meeting, the pastor told him that, that he and Dr. Rice would be sharing a hotel room. Oh, man. He thought, it's bad enough to preach with him, but i got to live with him all week. Well, they got back to the hotel after the first service, and, and the young preacher, he said, Now, Dr. Rice, I, I, I want you to be able to, to, to enjoy this week and do what you need to do. And he said, uh, What time do you normally get up in the morning? And Dr. Rice, he said, Well, I, I normally get up at uh, about 5. And the young preacher, he said, Oh, that's, that's perfect. He said, That's the time I normally get up as well. And he said, Dr. Rice, what do, you, what do you usually do first thing in the morning when you get up? And Dr. Rice, he said, well, I like to get dressed rather quickly and, and uh, spend some time with the Lord. I like to read my Bible and pray and just meet with the Lord. And the young preacher, he said, oh, that's great. He said, uh, I, I like to get some exercise first thing in the morning and kind of pray while I walk. And he said, uh, how will it be if we just get up at 5 and we'll get dressed quickly and I'll, I'll leave. I'll, I'll go out and get a good walk in and talk to the Lord on my walk and you can have the room to study and, and to pray and, and read your Bible. And Dr. Rice said, that'd be fine. So they went to rest, and they got up in the morning, and, and uh, they quickly dressed and did as they had planned. And the young preacher left the room and went for his walk, got his exercise in, and some good time with the Lord. And he came back about an hour and a half later. He had a key. He opened the door. And if you've ever been to a hotel, you know that usually, in most situations, the restroom is either right to the right or to the left as you come in the front door. I don't know why that is, but that's... Typically the case in most rooms, you come in and the, the restroom is right there. And he opened the door and the restroom door was open there to his right. The light was on and Dr. Rice was in the restroom. And he was, he was hunched over the commode and he was tearing up a piece of paper real quickly and flushing it down the toilet. And the young preacher was kind of taken back by the scene. And he, he kind of burst out. He said, Dr. Rice what are you doing? And Dr. Rice, he kind of turned around a little sheepishly and red-faced. With tears coming down his eyes, he said, oh, he said, I was confessing my sins. And I always make a list of them so that I don't miss any when I pray. And he said, then after I confess them all, I destroy the list so that no one else finds out how wicked I am. You know, maybe that's why God used Dr. Rice the way he did. Maybe that's why he had the power of God upon his life. Maybe that's why he had the great influence upon Christianity in his era that he did, because he was never at the place where he didn't realize his sin was important to deal with. Listen, the devil is going to, he's going to magnify, he's going to highlight your faults. He's going to use those faults to overcome your life. Don't get like the church at Laodicea that said, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clean. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here was a church. They thought they had it all together. They thought they were doing great. The Lord wasn't even there. He 
because they'd gotten to the place where they overlooked their indifference, their apathy, their materialism, and all these things that were plaguing their lives. They didn't even have the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, spiritual pride can kill us in our testimony. So the devil will heighten our fears. He will highlight our faults. But notice thirdly, he will harass your faith. He'll harass your faith. Did you know the devil reads the Bible? And the devil knows about the instruction that God has given to us. The devil knows that we as Christians are to walk by faith, not by sight. The devil knows that without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. He knows that. So the devil will harass our faith. Now, Peter had some amazing faith, in my opinion. After all, Peter was called of God back in uh, Mark chapter 2. Peter is called with these other fishermen to come and follow the Lord. He said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that Peter and the others, they left their boat, they left their, their nets, and they followed Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, that would have taken some faith. Who was going to take care of the business? Uh, who was going to take over the boat and the nets and and the business. Peter, as far as we know, was the only disciple that was married. And yet the Lord says, Peter, come, follow me. And for three years, Peter has left his business. He's left his, 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 his work. He's left his family Oh, I'm sure that he was allowed to go home and in the evenings. I'm sure that there were times where he was with his wife and, 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 and there were times where they were reconnected throughout those three years. But Peter is, is following the Lord. We see him at the different sites where Jesus is performing miracles or teaching. So here's Peter, by faith, following the Lord. I think probably the most extreme example of Peter's faith was one day the Lord told the disciples to get into a ship and go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus uh, didn't go with, him on the, with them on the trip. He went up into the mountains to pray. And so the disciples, they get on board that boat and they started across that Sea of Tiberias. And as was often the case, a storm came up. Those storms come up very quickly there on the Sea of Galilee and they can be quite violent. But these men, a vast majority of them, were fishermen by trade. They had been on that sea many, many times, perhaps hundreds of times. And they knew about those storms. They knew how to equip the boat in such a way that they could withstand a storm. But this one was a little more than they bargained for. The Bible tells us that that that, that boat began to rock in those waves and that wind and those, those, those waters were coming up over the sides of the boat. And the disciples, they're afraid. I mean, this thing has got them. Uh, they're, in a, they're in a mess here that they have no human ingenuity to get out of. And they looked out over the water and they saw a figure walking on the water. And John, probably the most perceptive of the disciples, he said, it's the Lord. Well, Peter's not sure. And he says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me that I come unto thee on the water. And the Lord said, And Peter steps out of the boat. Now, 
Just think about that for a minute. That would take a lot of faith. To step out of a boat and believe that you could walk on water. And this water was not still. This water was raging. Back in my younger years, I did a little water skiing, but I never liked to water ski when there were choppy waves. I wanted to go out in the very early morning when that water was as smooth as glass. That's when I like to water ski. This water is raging. It's splashing against the boat. The wind is howling. Uh, The rain is pelting down. But Peter, in that moment, steps out of that boat. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many steps he took. The flannel graph story, when I was a boy in Sunday school, said two. But I I tend to think it might have been more than that. Because Jesus was far enough away that they weren't sure it was him at first. So the distance there was a a, a pretty good distance. And Peter, I believe, he, he walks on that water. That would have taken a lot of faith. We know the story. Peter, he sees the wind, he he sees the waters crashing, and he takes his eyes off the Lord, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord stretched forth his hand and caught him. And you remember what he said to him? He said, O ye of little faith. What? Little faith? Are you kidding me? Peter was exhibiting great faith. Nobody else has tried to walk on water that I know of. Have you ever tried? Imagine if I said, I'm going to walk off this platform, just walk on air, all the way back to that sound booth back there. Here I go. (laughs) Say, brother, yes, you're crazy. You're going to break something. You're going to break something in your body. You try that. It would have taken a lot of faith. For Peter to step out and literally walk on water. So why did Jesus say, O ye of little faith? Jesus says that three times in the Gospels. O ye of little faith. And I don't believe he's ever in any of those statements referring to the amount of faith. He's referring to the duration of faith. Peter had great faith to follow the Lord. Peter had great faith to forsake all and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter had great faith to step out and walk on the water. But remember what Jesus said in our text to Peter? I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. You see, Jesus knew there would be a time where Peter's great faith would be tested. And at that moment, he would, he would quit on his faith. He, he, would, he would say, I'm, it's not worth it anymore. I, I'm not going to go any farther. Listen, are you at that place this morning? The people of Heritage Baptist Church have demonstrated great faith over these years. Uh, look at the pictures. There was nothing here. This was a vacant lot. This was not a city that anyone would desire to come to and try to plant a church of some kind. The people of Heritage Baptist Church, your pastor, others, have demonstrated great faith over these years to to see God do a miracle here in this city. And you've been a part of that. But you know what? The devil wants your faith now to falter. 
He wants you now to start looking around at the waves and the winds and and the water splashing and say, oh, I don't know. I'm afraid. I I don't know if this is working out. I don't know if I can continue. And the devil wants our faith to fail. You see, the devil is going to harass our faith. That's why he says, thou keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon thy God. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I think we're in the days of adversity, don't you? I think we're in some of those days where we're being tested a little bit. And God says, hey, don't let your faith waver. Don't let it fail now. The devil wants to harass your faith. So he'll heighten our fears. He'll highlight our faults. He'll harass our faith. But then I want you to see finally this morning, he will hinder our focus. In John chapter 21, toward the end of the Gospels, We read in verse 3 that Peter announces to some of his disciple friends, I go fishing. And when Peter said that, he didn't mean I'm going to take a break. He didn't mean I'm going to relax for a few hours today. As we would perhaps mean if we said I'm going fishing. When Peter said I go fishing, he was announcing his resignation. He was saying, I'm done. I quit. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before I followed the Lord. The Bible says the other disciples, they said, we also go with thee. You know the story. They went out. They fished all night. They caught nothing. Because Jesus had already told them, without me, you can do nothing. So they caught nothing. And as they were coming back toward the shore, they heard a voice. The voice called out to them, children, have you any meat? In other words, how was the catch? Did you catch anything? They answered no. And the voice said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they were probably rolling their eyes, especially Peter, thinking, who is this clown? We've been out all night. We know what we're doing. We're not novices at this. We've fished all night. There's nothing to catch tonight. But nevertheless, they let down the net, perhaps to prove his ignorance. And as soon as that net hit the water, it was filled with fish, 150 and 3. And John, again, the perceptive one, he said, it is the Lord. And Peter put his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked. He cast himself into the water and came to the shore. The other disciples in the boat with the nets of fishes. When they got there, Jesus already had a, a fire going and some fish on the fire. He said, come and dine. They enjoyed breakfast together. The Bible says in verse 15, after they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him a, third, a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter, Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time, lovest thou me? He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my sheep. Now the Bible is a written document. You have to read the Bible. You can't go watch the Bible. You have to read it. The Bible's not a movie. Not a video. It's a written document. You have to read it. But as you read it, you have to provide in your mind the video. Because sometimes if you don't, you won't understand the Bible. So the words of the Bible tell us that Jesus looked at Peter here at this fire and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, what are the these? The words of the Scripture don't tell us what the these are. But if you would have been standing there observing this, when Jesus asked that question, he would have been pointing to something. Peter, do you love me more than these? So in your mind, in your video, what's he pointing to? Is he pointing to the other disciples? Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Is he pointing to the houses, dotting the hillsides of Galilee? Peter, do you love me more than these houses? What are these? Well, I don't know what's playing in your mind, but when I watch this story in my mind, I believe Jesus is pointing to the fish on the fire. Or perhaps some fish flopping in the nets over on the deck of the boat nearby. And he's not asking Peter, do you like me better than fried fish? He's asking him, Peter, do you love me more than what this world has to offer you? Because a few hours ago, you said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I was doing before you called me. Now, Peter, i got to know something, because I have a big plan for your life. I have a plan for you to preach on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people are going to get saved and baptized and added to the local church. i got big plans for you, Peter. i got to know something. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than what this world has to offer? You see, the devil had stolen Peter's focus. And all the devil wants us to do in these days that we're living in is to look somewhere else than Jesus Christ. He wants to get our focus off of him. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when Achan saw a Babylonish garment and a wedge of gold and shekels of silver, when Samson saw a woman of Timnath, he said, get her for me. She pleaseth me well. When David saw a woman washing, see, all the devil has to do is steal your focus away from God. He's got you. The rest of the story could already be written. You ever been driving with somebody and you said, oh, look at that. And they said, oh, wow. And all of a sudden, you're in the ditch. Because their, their, their eyes, their hands followed their eyes. Your eye affects your heart. And when the devil can steal our focus, when he can get our eyes off of Jesus Christ, 
He's got us headed for a ditch. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. It's exactly what your pastor was pleading with you to do a moment ago. Folks, there's a lot of things we can look at right now. There's a lot of things that will discourage us. There's a lot of directions we can look and say, oh my, look at this. Did you hear that? Oh, think about this. And the devil loves it. when He can get our eyes off of our Savior. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. George Patton, who led our allied forces in World War II, it is said that he kept two books on his nightstand and read from both of them every night. One of them was the Bible. I don't know if George Patton was a Christian or not. I have read some things about George Patton. I've been to his grave over there in Luxembourg. There are some things that George Patton said and did that would lead me to believe that he knew the Lord. There are other things that came out of his mouth that would make me want to believe that he probably wasn't saved. I don't know his standing with the Lord. But when he was asked why he read from the Bible every night, he said, because the Bible's a book of wisdom, and I need wisdom as I lead our forces in battle. The other book, was a book entitled Rummel's Rules of War. He read from it every night. Who was Rummel? Rummel was the general of Adolf Hitler's army. And he had written a book on the strategy of war. And Rummel read from that book every night because he wanted to know what his enemy was planning. Friend, do you know that the devil knows you? And he will work on your fears. He will work on your faults. He will work on your faith. And he'll work on your focus. May we not only know the Lord today, if you don't know him, oh, trust him today as your Savior. And get into God's Word. That's where the wisdom of God comes from. We need to be aware of the devil's devices in our life. And when we see the devil prodding at our life today, oh, may we shore up. God's not given us a spirit of fear. God's given us a way to confess our sins and get victory over sin. God will enable our faith to be strong in days even of adversity. And God can fix our eyes upon him. And by the way, when you do, there's nothing else worth looking at anyway. He is our all, and in all, we're complete in Him.